0: For December 6th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 127, Silly, meaning bad. (laughs) Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve, whereby we, at the moment, I mean Mark Lee and myself, Matthew Rather. Hello, Mark. What's up? Uh, yeah. Mark is uh, Mark is Skyping in from beautiful Park Slope, uh, Brooklyn, New York City, New York, New York, New York, the United States, the Northern Hemisphere, the world, the universe. And I am in uh, L.A.'s gorgeous downtown Culver City um, That's right, I'm your host on the West Coast, on the bleeding edge of America, doing as much filler as I possibly can, just to (laughs) kill time, uh, because we have a lot of minutes to fill tonight, Mark, we have a lot of minutes to fill, and it's just you and me.
1: You know what they say about uh, how well I fill minutes? Oh, I've I've heard all the rumors, Mark. Some of them are true, only some of them. Huh. Yes, I'm here um, battling a cold, but hey, I, I, I really wanted to make sure I made the podcast because some of you may not know this, but if you go to iTunes and to the uh, podcast, uh, the film and television podcast category, and you look at what's hot, and you look at the 120 featured list, granted we are towards the bottom of it, but we totally are on it. And that means that someone's out there listening to us, and you know, we have subscribe
0: arrived.
1: It. Yes, we keep arriving, and yet we still arrive more. <laughs> you
0: it's know, like it's, we
1: are—it's like we are halfway there, and perhaps <laughs> living on a prayer. And if you take my hand, I think we might make it. I swear. And, and somehow we will keep arriving, but not we'll quite get there. You know, speaking of,
0: speaking of living on a prayer, there's something I want to say about those, those lyrics. Um, the pre-chorus is, you know, we've got to hold on to what we've got. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We've got each other, and that's a lot. For love, we'll give it a shot. And I've always huh. wondered about the comma placement uh, in those last couple lines, right? Is it, we've got each other, and that's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot. Or is it, We've got each other, and that's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot, you know. Which is a slightly different. Each one has a slightly different emphasis. The um, the uh, the first one is more enthusiastic, right? We've got each other, and that's a lot for love. That is to say, you know, by the standards of love, by the by the sort of amount of fuel that love usually gets to go. Which is a lot already, right? Uh, We've got each other, uh, and that's a lot for love. You know, having each other is uh, is a great thing for love, and so it's it's very enthusiastic when he says, "We'll give it a shot." Or is it, uh, "We've got each other," and that's a lot. Uh, that is to say, you know, I value our I value our romantic partnership, right? And then mm-hmm. the next the next line is, "For love, we'll give it a shot." Uh, i.e., we might not give it a shot under other circumstances. <laughs> Certain, you know, there, there could be. Um, uh, there could be uh, certain fact patterns under which we would not give it a shot, but eh, for love, we'll give it a shot, which, which sounds half hearted to me. You know, that so, is, um, right, that is not as uh, uh, ringing an endorsement of the, the relationship between um, uh, Tommy and Gina. Uh, as you know, as in the first version. So you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if we uh, recovered the autograph copy of uh, you know John Ponchovy's original lyrics to this song, we could uh, we could sort out this this incredible problem that has been Is plaguing plaguing uh, paprologists and um, scholars of English verse forever and ever.
1: Also, you know, all joking aside, people actually do that, right? They'll sort of dig up old print versions of. Uh, of text or handwritten copies of things, right, and try to parse out additional meaning based on, uh, I don't know, like a smudge mark, something that may be a smudge mark on the page but may or may not be a comma or something like that.
0: Well, there's a whole, you know, I was involved in a production of Hamlet, a stage production of Hamlet this year, and there are three versions of Hamlet.
1: I know that. I read the Cliff Notes for that once.
0: (laughs) I've heard of it. (laughs) I I think I I sort of know what happens in that. I've totally heard of that play. Spoiler alert, everybody dies in the end. Uh, What? Yeah. God damn it. Stage littered with bodies uh, at the end, and um, and then next the thing dude, you're gonna tell me, next thing you're just
1: gonna go off and say like, oh, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Stiller, <laughs> Irving Kershner, rest in peace. Yeah, next thing you're away.
0: gonna tell me that Ganymede was a girl all along, and and his her name is Rosalind. No, um. Right, so there are three versions of Hamlet, and the three versions were not always consistently printed. And, uh, you know, so there is a whole industry, especially with Hamlet, there's a whole industry of people who go in and, and you know, study the, the books that have been printed and recover copies. And then, you know, before that, before printing, books were copied by scribes. Um, and so uh, scholars of, of Latin and Greek spend a lot of time like conjecturing about which scribes were the good scribes or which scribes were the the uh uh, kind of drunk scribes, and which ones <laughs> thought they were, you know, better poets than Ovid or Catullus or whatever, and so would insert improvements and and you know conjectures about about commas, um, especially in a synth- uh, oh god, what is it called? Is it a synthetic language where the line end where the word endings give you meaning? Um, a language like Latin where the word order can be anything, but uh, the the word endings, the declensions of uh, uh, nouns and the conjugations of verbs tell you uh, what goes with what.
1: Um, oh, so they fudge that, then it like, totally changes, like that the noun becomes a subject. Yeah. And. Uh... And Darth Vader becomes the mother instead of the father.
0: Exactly. Or,
1: oh.
0: you know what I mean? Or, or like, Luke, Luke Skywalker, you know, I don't know, knows Darth Vader's father or something like that. You know what I mean? Ah, Luke yes. Skywalker becomes the, the father of Darth Vader, you know? Um, the child is the father to the man, uh, as I've heard it said somewhere. Um, right? So this is, you know, this is a, this is a real issue. And I think that uh, at the next conference uh, of Bon Jovi Studies, I think we are... Still, uh, <laughs> You ought to at least present a poster, um, you know, about uh, the this, this scansion,
1: um, <laughs> scansion of
0: the lyrics in Living on a Prayer.
1: But by the way, uh, I, I, I was first introduced to this concept of presenting a poster at a conference uh, recently. Um, I don't know how, how many of the listeners of our, in the audience are sort of familiar with this culture of the academic conference. Um, I certainly am not, at least firsthand, I've only learned about it secondhand from folks who are in the various academic fields where you get a doctorate degree. Um, but, uh, you know, I think people may be more familiar with the idea of presenting a, uh, you know, a paper or giving a talk at a conference, right? As in, like, you got to punch them in the room and, like, they, they sit there and they listen to you as and yeah, opposed- and you read
0: and you read off the thing that you've written and mm-hmm. maybe take questions at the end and then what you've written gets published you know sort of in a in a collection of the proceedings of such and such a conference mm-hmm. there are also i mean so that's one kind of of thing then there are like panel discussions uh that happen which may or may not be transcribed and published uh it, you know if it's a big conference it'll it'll be published uh but
1: the poster right or my understanding of this is literally you make a poster right like a big i don't know how big is this poster typically at such conference do you know no,
0: Matt? about the size of a poster board like a, about yeah. the size of your science fair project yeah yeah <laughs> science that's what
1: i'm going <laughs> it's for actually so you,
0: it's not unlike that you know
1: yeah because you stand by there and you sort of like smile and people are like kind of milling around uh you know this the poster area right and they will stop and they'll read your thing and they can ask you questions while you're standing there right
0: yeah, can I tell you, you know, can I tell you...
1: While you're a little lava, while your little um, uh, baking
0: soda volcano erupts. Right, absolutely. <laughs> you put the baking soda in and pour the vinegar in over it every time someone new comes by. And you just hope, you know, you just hope they're a department head at a really good school. <laughs> but the, um- the... The
1: Arm & Hammer baking soda... Um- uh, that uh, doctorate program, right?
0: Right, but um, you know, so this—I mean, so this is the thing. I mean, it's a way to—it's a way to present research, and you put a—you put a poster together. Now, I—I'm not an academic either, so I've never been to one of these things. But um, uh, I've never been to one of these things. But I know that they—I um, know that they—they they happen, and I've kind of seen people prepare posters. But I'm wondering if computers have changed uh, the posters that academics present at poster sessions, so that where before they were, you know, those stick-on vinyl. Letters Or drawn Mm -hmm. with magic marker. Now they're extraordinary multimedia presentations, you know.
1: Now they're in 3D, basically. Yeah,
0: they're in 3D with, like, they're all on an iPad. Uh, (laughs) 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 Um, So, hey, uh, breaking news. We are joined uh, midstream by Peter Fenzel. I just got in, guys.
2: I just got in. It's crazy out there. It is crazy out there. There are shoppers all over the place. That are making me not able to get my train on time, so I have to turn the podcast late. I'm sorry, but I'm here. I have come to you
1: at the turning of the tide. (laughs) You you really have, because we were just spent the last, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes talking about, what, academic conferences and Bon Jovi, (laughs) the fact that I'm sick, (laughs) and uh, the fact that we are on the list of 120 uh, uh, featured podcasts on iTunes.
2: Oh, uh, well, it looks like I just made it. <laughs> things like, we're getting, that's like things were doing pretty bad. Things were a little bit dark. No, I'm sure you guys were doing excellently and holding down the fort. And thank you for fighting wounded, Mark. I uh, I do appreciate it. I know that you've been struggling with this uh, malady for the past couple of days. And I know that we had to pull you out of. Yeah, uh, it's uh, a gaping
1: uh, gunshot wound to the chest in case anything. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it is not it was not me in the strictest sense. It depends <laughs> on how you define
1: yes, responsibility. The, the interpodcast fight feud, which has been uh, sp- uh, you know raging over the last year or so has finally come to this. But let it be, be known shot me. All right. <laughs> really Who shot you.
0: <laughs> let it be known that Fenzel drew first blood.
1: Uh George Lucas
2: is gonna edit it and I'll be vindicated.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> Um, here's what here's what we had had sort of put on deck. Uh, we okay. wanted to talk a little bit about the Spider Man musical, but we, we got oh. Mark Mark brought up living on a prayer, and so I had okay. to go into my thing. <laughs> you know my thing that I do about uh, about where the comma is in the in the pre chorus. You know, <laughs> and, the two things. and then we suggested that we uh, we presented at the next uh, Bon Jovi studies conference that it wouldn't probably be a paper, but it would be a poster session, uh, you know, that it would be <laughs> what, a, poster what is and, a
2: poster session. That's when people hold uh, up we, posters. Well, at you, at you,
0: have to, you have to go back and listen to the first 10 minutes. Of oh, the show, OK. I, just, I will do that. We just explained okay. it to the uh, to the listeners. It's like a science right, fair, but it's it, for serious academics from graduate students. Cool. And uh, so it's like people
2: when people are. go to see the WWE and they like they make a poster that's like John Cena is awesome,
0: and yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. And if it has, uh, if you can make it an acronym with the uh, with the acronym of the cable station, that, yes, yes, yes. Uh, WWE is on that night. Yeah, uh, you'll get on camera, and it's the same thing. You know, at the uh, at the MLA conference, if you can make your title. Um, uh, you know, if you can make your title an acronym, uh, MLA, or just get it somewhere in in the title, uh, your poster will. So
2: so you fight you. <laughs> Wait, uh, sci- 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 sci-fi or CFI is a hard one to do. Cause I think that's that's one of their big that's one of the big movements that the Sci-Fi Channel has made in becoming the CFI Channel With the Sci-Fi is the they now show wrestling right um, where which what, is really? not. Yeah, they do.
1: Which one? Do. Like MMA, mixed martial arts, or like, like WWE?
2: No, no, no. no,
0: no. Actually, w- like, w- act WWE. It's not... Well-
2: professional wrestling mark not any of that amateur nonsense <laughs> like only the work of the finest professionals off the top rope. uh no no they show they show ww is it smackdown i think they show smackdown it might be i don't think it's raw i think it's smackdown um
0: here's you know what, while i'm while i'm making grammatical quibbles here i'd like to make another one about the ufc right yeah the um the ultimate fighting championships right yes now okay so ultimate uh literally means the last
2: thing oh yes. here we go the with this thing fighting, yeah. the last fighting championship the last right.
0: fighting championship right? And, right and is it not ironic that there are uh, a numbered sequence of these so that you know not, <laughs> none really can be the last fighting championship because well, like Final a... Fantasy yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you know why they called it Final Fantasy right why oh, is because,
1: because it? Japanese people are bad at English
2: no, it's not, it's not they <laughs> called it Final Fantasy the company was running out of money and was gonna go out of business and this was their last shot at getting a game out there that they thought was gonna turn the company around. At least that's the story that I was always told. Is that like the, it's called Final Fantasy because it was like their last chance. Uh, And as such, then the franchise became uh, popular and is is so often the case. Uh, Brand equity superseded uh, semantic sensibility. Another great example of of brand equity surpassing uh, sensibility in in semantics is Uh, the uh, – Is what? Oh, oh thought, the Viking I, commercials. What, what do you think I was going to say?
0: I thought you were going to use this as a transition to Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark.
2: <laughs> oh, that's another great example. Let's, let's go there. Let's go there. I, I, the one that I was going to throw in the middle was the Viking commercials for Capital One, which at right. one point used to be about uh, like security and safety because of Vikings being bad, but now they're about Vikings like taking horseback riding lessons and buying consumer goods, which is not really <laughs> what the Vikings were in the uh were in the thing to begin with. But no, yes a great example of brand equity trumping semantic content is Spider-Man the musical, where it's like, hey, no men go see musicals let's make a musical no women want to see to make it
0: <laughs> so that we can so that we can alienate all four quadrants of the broadway <laughs> this,
2: is, this is what's known in the business as the perfect storm <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> uh and bono's involved who is awesome i love bono i don't get the bono hate man i don't get the bono hate
1: bono like I, bono what? and the edge what's there not to, what's there not to like i mean he saved africa like at least
0: three times already, right?
1: Like, like Spider-Man. He's like Wesley
0: Crusher. he's like Wesley Crusher up in that continent.
2: And people love Wesley Crusher now, <laughs> even though they thought he was annoying back in the day. He's all he's, he's the bee's knees. He's the cat's pajamas. Will Wheaton is yeah. so like so. I think people need to give Bono another chance. I like a lot of his music. He's a good singer. I think like we should uh, we should consider that perhaps Bono is a good singer. Resolved. Uh, <laughs> Bono knows how to sing. Uh, I, <laughs> Like actually, actually, uh, like very, very quick aside. I went to go chop down a Christmas tree with my family uh, the day after, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and we were listening to the Christmas song marathon on uh, one hundred six point seven Light FM.
0: Ch- chop down a-, a Christmas tree? What are you, a pioneer woman? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, chopped down Quinn, a Christmas tree, podcaster? We have, no, we have low wage
0: <laughs> labor to do things like that for us. Pete, come on. <laughs>
2: Look, you this we live in a dissociated, hyper specialized, hyper reality. And thus like the imagination of agrarian experience is worth about forty or fifty bucks, okay? Like I wanna pretend that I could cut down trees as like a (laughs) matter of Usefulness. Well, no, we I like, mean, we can't. You can, you can
0: yeah. cut down trees. I mean, if the chainsaw is provided for you and, you know, someone points you to the correct tree to cut down. Like,
2: I used a very nice bow saw and I love going out there. It was to, uh, to cut, it was a country farms in Augusta, New Jersey. Uh, it was great. It was wonderful. We had a wonderful time. They have a nice little snack shack where you got hot cocoa and cookies. And then my mom and my sisters go to the ornament shop for like a 45 minutes. Do I stand outside in the cold? It's a fun time. No, I, I, I do like it. I I do like going out to cut down the christmas tree the reason i brought it up and i mean sh- podcast listeners share in the comments your experiences about adorning your homes with traditional german uh, pagan symbols of, of <laughs> light worship and tenenbaums and whatnot royal tenenbaums if you will um is that the the, the live aid song or the is that the live aids, so a Aid song right is that where it was from the live aid song like uh the the one where it's like why is it that because people are muslim and live close to the equator they don't know it's christmas like that whole thing where it's like, do they know it's Christmas? The one has those wonderful lines, like, there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time, and it's like there's no rivers, despite the fact that it has like several of the longest rivers in the world and all that stuff. Um, and Bono comes out and has that great line. It's like, "Was it? Aren't was it? Aren't you glad it's them instead of you?" Uh, it's it's a <laughs> wonderful, like, like, just like, just lambastment of the audience. Uh, yeah, it didn't solve Africa. I remember seeing a chart in. Um, some magazine once where they took all the participants in that concert and they graphed their relative success over the years. And this was shortly after the George Michael scandal. So George Michael's star had fallen precipitously at the end of this graph. Like it had gone way up after Live Aid, but it was already pretty high and, and it was doing really great. And then at the end, it's like, boom, like he's in jail for masturbating or whatever it was he was doing. And then uh, that was a great like, story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but it was funny because bono had gone way up and like the guy who actually produced the one of the guys from one of the random bands turned out to be the producer of survivor and like he went way up and the per- people who went all the way to the bottom were like the actual country of ethiopia which like had continued to descend into <laughs> civil war like all the money from live it had been seized by warlords oh and it was it was wow. terrible
1: but hey you know um, you know what's gonna you know what's gonna fix africa what spider-man the musical turn off the dark
2: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> what's your is it really called Turn Off the Dark? Is that yes. what it's called? Yes. Really? Yeah. Do we live? Talk about hyper reality. Talk about over civilized and hyper civilized people <laughs> that we now think, like in New York City on Broadway, we now think of light at night as the state of nature. Like, <laughs> we have to, like, dark is something you have to actively <laughs> shut out on Broadway because it is, like, so pervasive and so intense. Um, I mean, I think it's clever. I bet you they were thinking of that when they named it, right? It's like the lights, are, it's a city that never sleeps where the lights were all, are always on. Um, Related to that, I have photographs in my living room that I took with uh, overthinking it, um, uh, tour de force, Matt Belinke, the day that the lights went out in Times Square during the 2003 blackout of the Northeast. We went around to Times Square and Grand Central and took a whole bunch of photographs.
0: The cascading power failure, right?
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. So I have, like, pictures of a dark Times Square uh, where the traffic is being conducted by cops because the traffic lights weren't working um, in my living room. But uh, at any rate, Spider-Man, if Bono can't save the world, then maybe Spider-Man can. And if Spider-Man can't do it's it— Spider-Man,
1: also- Spider-Man can't save the world, And Julie Taymor perhaps can. Or maybe <laughs> not because—well, here's just what I wanted to talk about, the direction okay. of this, uh, okay. is that the media seems—there's almost like a feeding frenzy around— This musical and people really want this to fail. It seems like (laughs) it's like they want Julie Taymor to eat to to eat her humble pie. It's kind of like with Titanic and Avatar. People wanted us. We're rooting for James Cameron to to fail because it was a very expensive and ambitious project, and they wanted to see something just uh, someone just collapse into a pile of hubris, right? And so that's why you were getting a lot of the reports about the technical problems, about the, all the actors being injured, about the very bad buzz coming from the first preview show with the audience, which was stopped four times, like actors were left dangling on their um, on, on, the, on the wire stunts. So that's what I'm most interested in is this uh, sort of this the knee-jerk negative reaction to this musical, A, because it's a Spider-Man musical and sort of ha-ha, that's ridiculous, and B, because it's so this outlandish, overly wrought very complicated production that people want to see fall on its face. Look, here,
0: I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Like I, I really don't envy these guys in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we have three people on the podcast today who have all been involved in creative endeavors of different kinds, you know, um, uh, me in theater, Pete in the theater, and also currently uh, a lot of improv comedy and Mark is a musician. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that's common to all creative endeavors is that you suck a lot until you stop sucking, you know, and you have to do it and do it and do it and do it and, do it and be bad and be bad and be bad and be bad uh, and gradually get better. This is the thing that, you know, that the film training montages always miss uh, the, you know, years and years of doing the thing over and over and over badly. Um, and these guys, and, and you know, it's true. What's true on a macro scale over the course of an individual's career is also true on a micro scale um, uh, over the course of a particular uh, production or song or or you know show or you know what what have you film right uh, script. It's bad until it's good, and and these guys have had to do the bad stuff out in public, uh, and and I don't envy them that because that's no. Um, uh that's that's no picnic you know for everyone to see you suck before they they see you good mm-hmm.
2: yeah i mean i i think I, I would add to that that um and i mean i agree with everything that you said here Pretty much. Uh, I would say that it is interesting that the media – you say the media is like – it was wants this this musical to fail. Well, I by the
1: media, probably more specifically the New York Post, but that's a whole other thing.
2: Okay. Uh, well, I would say that the media in general wants everybody to fail, right? So the media has this – like it's very misanthropic and like just as a matter of – it's a market force, right? It's when – if it bleeds,
0: I mean, it bleeds. Wants is probably – uh, is probably the wrong word, isn't it? It's like saying that evolution yeah, selects for something. It's ascribing a kind of, a kind of agency uh, to something that it doesn't have. But l- let's say what? Let's say um, the, the media is, is most active when things do fail or, uh, you know, I don't know. The media is at its fullest expression of itself when things fail.
2: I would even go so far as to say that there is a sort of best practice related to the discourse around media for motivating profit of media companies that you speak of things in such a way that they are failing. Right. Uh, is, is that where really the, whether, and even it's all relative because it's, if you're talking about everything, like it's failing, like every baby is being thrown in a dumpster and like, you know, every, every, uh, suburban neighborhood has a seedy underbelly and like every neighborhood with a couple minorities in it is going to get you shot. Like speak of things as if they are going to fail and you will like agitate and engage your audience. Right. It's not that you want these things to fail. It's like how you choose to talk about them. Um, and I think that the most notable thing here is not that the media is talking about the Spider-Man musical failing, but that they are talking about the Spider-Man musical at all. Uh, and I think that it is a it is huh. a mark, uh, perhaps. Uh, that the musicals have not been doing a great job of uh, engaging the sort of land, sea, and air PR war, and why should they? They're very old-fashioned in, in their uh, model, uh, and it, it's very hard to innovate, and it's not really worth it to them to try to compete uh, with uh, the kinds of uh, entertainments that are distributed through the kind of sort of techno uh, infrastructure of, of media communications, right? Like, what is it, why does it profit a Broadway musical if, if everybody on the web is talking about it, when really you only want a very specific subset set of midwestern housewives to go to it uh and like they don't know how to use the internet um but but i mean so um that that if, if musicals really wanted to be competitive, I feel like they should do things like this more often. They should have – they should take bigger risks. If, if musicals are not being talked about as being total failures on the internet, I'll go back to the axiom I always talk about. If, you're, if people aren't yelling at you on the internet, you're doing it wrong, right? Like musicals, there should always be a story in the media about a musical failing horribly because that means that people – or paying attention to what is happening to musicals. And if there's not a story in the media about, or on the web, or in the sort of general discourse about a musical failing, then it's because musicals are not relevant, and no people well, don't care what's going so on. So to
1: be them. clear, musicals fail all the time. I mean, they, exactly. open, they open and close. Just Most people outside of the tri-state area just don't hear about it because... Uh, a, a, they they're sort of not in this news media market, or B, they yeah. don't give a crap about musical theater.
2: But also they don't fail in interesting ways a lot of the time. Like, they fail for being bad, or they fail for it being a tough market. And, like, they fail the way restaurants fail. Right, Where it's like it's hard to put on a good musical. It's hard to start a restaurant. And people are starting tons of musicals all the time well beyond the ability of the market to sustain all of them. Right? The same thing with restaurants. It's 80 percent of restaurants fail. Uh, and so it's not surprising when a musical fails. It's surprising when a musical fails because uh, Bono tells a man to dress in a, in a skin-tight like a bodysuit and he ends up hanging by a wire for like four hours Right, from his butt. That's
0: interesting. The stakes are very high because they've spent untold tens of millions of dollars on this thing.
2: Tens, tens of millions of dollars, oh, which mean, is it's, like
0: it's double the you know, it's like 60 million dollars or something. It's like double the yeah. the uh, budget of the the next, you know, highest budgeted musical, which was Shrek, the Shrek. musical, Yeah.
2: And, and about like like maybe 20 million dollars less than the total cost of Jiggly. Um, which is just like, I mean, it's
0: like, I, I think it's weird. I, I mean, we don't know about Spider-Man, whether it will, will fail. But I mean, if, if we talk, if it does, I mean, saying that it failed in an interesting way. I'm not quite sure what's interesting about it.
1: Yeah, what's like this Let, is wire yeah. stunts, really is what it's talk, what we're talking. About. You know, why is the
2: New York Post? Yeah, why is the New York Post writing about it? People seem to care, right? There's something about it that that yeah, resonates. Maybe care
0: because the IP, yeah. I think people care uh, because of the budget, and also because yeah. it's a, you know it's the most egregious example of the the trend recently of sort of taking celebrated media properties and kind of leveraging them um, yeah. to get tourists who are the Broadway audience now. You know, uh, yeah, to. Um, uh, to come to Broadway and to, to see and, and, shows there,
1: and part of this is the eye rolling inherent in this concept of the Spider-Man musical, which uh, the, the idea is that how oh, this is ridiculous. Spider-Man is going to like jump around on stage and he's going to sing while he's like flinging from his webs, and that just sounds really corny. Yeah, and which yeah, actually, I don't yeah. think actually is going to happen in the show. A web uh,
0: I sling from it, I swing. Hey,
2: it's Mary Jane Showing, showing (laughs) Um, So, but I mean, I don't I mean, I I don't think the concept is that Far-fetched, don't, I mean, the the monty python musical was a big success however many years ago right uh and still has touring companies here and there i would suppose like i mean who i mean it's certainly certainly spider-man the musical seems like a lower risk proposition to me in terms of it being a daring expansion of the musical genre than like less so less daring than spam was because uh, right, like, that's like a 35-year-old movie That like, is mostly watched by nerds uh, And it's like, oh, we're going to make it into a Broadway musical Whereas like, Spider-Man is like At one point, in the not last 10 years Was the highest grossing opening weekend of a movie ever And like, produced multiple great sequels that, uh, Or multiple sequels that were very successful Even when they sucked balls you know, like, it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that Spider-Man 2 sucked balls But I would say that Spider-Man 3 probably sucked balls um, Here's a question Is it, yeah. is it about the
0: gravitas? Oh, no, it's so heteronormative the right of you pete to say that to say that that's you know that that's a term for a bad thing god
2: oh that it sucks balls i'm sorry i should i should i should be less <laughs> uh i should say what should i say that it like uh that it, that, it, that it, like, back rubbed after a long day? Like, is that a foot massaged after a long day? Is that, like, the equivalent of, like, something that you do that's kind of, like, a little bit humiliating that you're trying to do to make the other person feel good? Wow, that's a little bit too blue for this podcast. Uh, I shouldn't do such a thing.
1: Um, no, no, what, what I'm getting at here is trying to figure out what the turnoff is about this idea of the Spider-Man musical. Because one of the things that we compared to Spam a lot, well, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a comedy, and comedies typically, at least in my mind, translate very well into musicals because of the sort of the inherent whimsical nature of people, you know, singing and dancing on stage. Right. As uh, opposed to the Also, inherent, also like, the nature, why is well,
2: cracking in spandex and flying around the city fighting muggers? But yeah, no, I understand yeah. what you mean. Like, Lion yeah. King,
1: you know, there's, you know, the whimsy inherent in a Disney movie. Yeah. And, and now here comes Spider Man, right? We know what the last Spider Man movies were like. Uh, they weren't like as hardcore and dark as, let's say, like the Dark Knight. Um, but to use as an extreme example, if you, if I were to tell you, hey, I'm going to make a musical adaptation of the Dark Knight, you would laugh at me and think that is ridiculous.
2: No, why would I think that? I think that that might actually work. I mean, go on. I a mean,
0: oh, man, a <laughs> oh, oh, bat. I'm this. I'm that. <laughs>
2: now what i want to see is lobo exclamation point that's the musical i want to see it's like hey biznatches or bass hey there bass uh you know this year's the main man lobo i'm here to soothe you with the dulcet tones of my baritone voice as i drive my space motorcycle around the dc universe oh look it's the collector Hey, Collector, gonna get you. It's the main man Lobo. Lobo, Lobo, Lobo. Like, that would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. Of course, I always go to Lobo whenever I want to, like, that's like when I go to 11 on superheroes being stupid, I go to Lobo. Like, that's like my go-to guy, uh, which is probably not entirely fair. But, uh, and it's also kind of cliche. I should pick different ones for each podcast. Do you guys ever feel that way where it's like I want to make a joke about a given subject, so I always bring up the same example of that subject because I think it's the funniest. Yeah, I have a, small, maybe- I have a, I
0: have a very small repertoire of, uh, you know, of go-to things that I go to.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess I should have said, like, uh... Uh, they should make one about what like gladiator about like his level of confidence and how his level of confidence is like directly proportional to his level of power. Because he worked for the Shi... Uh, I want to say the Shi'i Empire, but that's not correct at all. Huh. Uh, that's, that's something entirely different. Um, the she, not the Shira Empire either. I'm, oh, I, my nerd cards can get revoked for this one. Uh, not the Shari Empire. It is something like this. Somebody Google this for me. Shi'ar Empire is what it was. I'm not, I didn't Google it. Shi'ar Empire. In the Dark Phoenix Saga and all that other nonsense. Um, the Gladi- Gladiator. yeah. Oh, yeah, not,
0: yeah, not Gladiator starring Russell Crowe.
2: No, 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 Gladiator the See, purple one. That would, had be, to that
0: would be, you know. I am son to a murdered father, (laughs) to a murdered wife. No, no,
2: (laughs) gladiator is the Marvel Comics character who, like, it would be most appropriate to make a musical about um, because he is—he has this like sort of uh, psychosomatic superheroism uh, where, like, if he if he doubts himself, his power goes away. So, like, and he's totally fabulous. If you look up a picture, if you just Google like gladiator Marvel, right, and I was say this that people who are playing along playing the home game at home like google gladiator marvel and uh and you will see what this guy looks like because he looks pretty he's like he's like an angry inch away from hedwig like he is he is pretty ridiculous
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and, and he also and i think i think that, that this transitions a little bit neatly into what i was talking about back to spider-man what we were talking about before because it's not an accident that they're making a, a musical out of spider-man because right? like, we all think about Spider-Man as this very mainstream superhero. He, it's almost like, oh, we'll make Spider-Man the musical because Spider-Man is the most popular one. right? And, and thus, like, that will be the most mainstream one. But if you look back at what Julie Taymor did previously with The Lion King, you can make the same argument. Oh, I'm going to make this musical about The Lion King The Lion King was like the zenith of Disney musicals, uh, movie musicals. But really, there's a very good reason why The Lion King the musical is about The Lion King. Right? Like, because, you know, the way that the music, musical presentation of it works, the, the puppetry that they involved in it, um, the theatricality of The Lion King is like totally overblown and over the top uh, as, as a story. I mean, compare it to something like Bambi, which is much more meditative and much more cinematic, uh, sure. I, I think, in terms of, that's so something like The Lion King, which is just like brassy and, and, and like, and show stopping and like, you know, hey, I'm Pong before the Warhog,
0: by, you know, like, <laughs> you, mean, you mean sort of naturalistic, right?
2: Well, by cinematic, I guess what I mean is um, concerned with the moving of pictures as, as a sort of art form. <laughs> Whereas The Lion King is like concerned with the farting of warthogs as an art form. But also, it also just um, – uh, I feel like there are some movies that go too fast for movies, uh, and which is I know a kind of like a, a, an antithetic thing to say to the way that movies have been progressing over the course of the last 15 years. But I really do think that the cinematic form takes its fullest expression when it slows its roll just a little bit. Um, I mean, I think this is. I mean, I don't necessarily like movies that do this. A great example of this is something like Mulholland Drive, right? Where people really like these movies. This movie like Mulholland Drive, where it's 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 slow. The story doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially if you walk out halfway through and never figure out what happened. Um, and, and like, and then things are like the symbols don't really have antecedents, and like, and, and it doesn't necessarily hang together. If you were to just write everything down and read it to me, but. Supposedly, the art of cinema allows for these things because of the way that it puts images in sequence uh right and and so a movie like bambi think about how there's so many shots in bambi of like sort of matte painting style background uh where we're moving from image to image there's like montage in a meaningful associative way uh from the different environments that bambi is in when the comic relief shows up in bambi it's like it has a sort of different visual style from the other stuff that is happening there's a lot of different worlds that are portrayed like compare the difference in bambi between the fire scene and the scene where uh, her, his mom is killed. Spoilers, Bambi's mom dies. <laughs> um, so Bambi's mom is shot while they're fleeing from hunters in a scene that is like shot in like very, well, it's drawn in like a very wide angle. And it only sort of suggests the figures as silhouettes as they're running through the forest away from the hunters. And the, and the, um, the appearance of Bambi's father in the fire scene is like really immediate. Like Bambi's father is outlined in like extremely clear silhouette from like a low angle on top of a crag while the entire forest is on fire. I feel like if you compare those two two scenes so they're analogous scenes in Lion King because Lion King is pretty much a remake of Bambi but not as good Uh, sorry I I shouldn't say such things but um where where you see like the death of Mufasa in the wildebeest stampede versus the fire scene that happens in the Lion King which is when um the, the force of and then Scar gets cast off of the mountaintop um they're a lot more similar to each other, and they show you everything. Like, they they even want to show you Scar being torn apart by the hyenas, so they cast it in, like, very... They can't really show it, but they show, like, the silhouettes, the shadows of it, right? Not silhouettes, but shadows, like, which is a much more obvious, like, show me what is happening. Show me what is happening. And I feel like cinema as an art form as distinct from just drawing pictures or, say, comic books doesn't always have to show you all these things. Like, Like, it can, by putting the images in sequence create impressions uh and i mean comics do this as well in another way but by by moving the pictures from one to the other you can uh create an artistic channel like an artistic conduit of communication that isn't present um that 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 you lose if you make it like everything everything all the time all the time all the time now compare that to a musical right Like compare that to a musical in which everything, everything, everything is happening all the time, all the time, all the time, right? Like if it is on stage, you are seeing it. Every single individual person is like perfectly toned and hitting all the right parts and and steps, right? If like in a movie, if like the 15th person from the left is like smoking a cigarette, it doesn't matter. But in a musical, it sure as heck matters, right? Um, and so I think that you pick the Lion King to make the musical because the Lion King is like a musical. And, you, and also because the comic relief is like very, very vaudeville and very showstoppy and very like on its face. And Spider-Man is like that too. He's wisecracky. You know, he like he, – the way that he gets around is like really kind of uh, demonstrative in a physical way, right? Like in a comic book, it doesn't really matter that Superman flies. In a movie, it starts looking kind of silly. In a musical, it would look ridiculous. Right? Like su- Superman like flying around, right? It's it's yeah, like Well oh,
0: and anyone anyone who's ever seen like Peter Pan or something can attest that it's you know, it's ridiculous and it becomes its own it becomes its own thing. I mean the flying in a musical has like, no... like from
2: ra- the Spider-Man comic books to the Spider Man movies to the Spider-Man musical that is similar to the through line from the Lion King movies to the Lion King musical that leads me to think that Julie Tamar made a good decision to direct this thing. Um and I mean, I guess that's the end of my rant there. I mean, I, I haven't been really following it that hard, but I feel like like there are reasons why you pick Spider-Man independently of it being kind of a sure thing property. Um, and, and I mean, if you really wanted to pick a ridiculous musical, I mean, we're not going to watch Ego the Living Planet, the musical, but, um, that would be another kind of character I'd bring up as being ridiculous. Or maybe like, a,
0: maybe like a Hulk musical or something would be pretty ridiculous. Well, Hulk's, Hulk
2: the musical would be terrible. <laughs> like, <that. laughs> like Jekyll and Hyde the musical, right? Uh, which, I mean, had a couple of decent songs, like with David Hasselhoff starred in that one. I don't know. People would probably rag on me for this, but I tend to think of Jekyll and Hyde the musical as being pretty silly. Have you ever seen? And I mean silly in a bad way. Like I use silly the way that teenage boys use gay. Uh, uh, silly meaning bad. Like like not silly meaning like jovial. Like silly meaning bad. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> And and so, um, so, so there's, there's like a scene where he's singing, there's like a big song called confrontation where he sings a duet with himself. Right. And like, he flips his head over and one side of his head has long hair and one side of his head has short hair. (laughs) And it's just like, Hey, come on, (laughs) you know, like, like that that psychological representation like that like psychodrama like y- it doesn't really lend itself to media in which you see everything that is happening like there needs to Jekyll and Hyde needs to have moments where you don't see them like that's why it's a short story that works okay as a story works pretty well as like a cartoon or a movie or something like that and then like doesn't really work as a musical because like you know i mean the Jekyll and Hyde i think gets its highest expression as a bugs bunny cartoon Right like I feel like my favorite Jekyll and Hyde stories are always like Looney Tunes cartoons where someone has the potion and they drink the potion and they become huge and then they become tiny. And like um it doesn't really matter that, you know, we can see how their hair is gelled or anything like that. Uh, because it's like it's iconic and representational. It has these other elements. But so there's, there's my there's my requisite rant, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I know it's no, a, it's,
0: a, it's a, a regular, a copyrighted feature of this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I always feel self conscious when I finish them, but the readers tell me and the listeners tell me they like them. So there you go. There's me ranting about the Lion King and Bambi and Spider Man and musicals for like five minutes. Um, yeah, and I do think you should Google five Gladiator. Minutes. You should, yeah, more than five minutes. You should Google Gla- Marvel Gladiator and look to like I did. the third oh, it's,
0: picture. Oh, it's fantastic. He's <laughs> fabulous. He's, he's silly. And by silly, yeah. I mean the way the teenage boys mean K. <laughs>
2: And of course, obviously, we at Overthinking it uh, are very politically aligned toward tolerance uh, and personally aligned towards more than tolerance—you uh, know, embracing our differences and the cultures of people around us. So, just because the gladiator in Marvel looks pretty gay, that doesn't necessarily mean he's bad. Um, we we think that that is awesome, um, but it's a it's a difficult subject to, to dwell on because of the nexus between superheroism. Actually, let me throw that out there. Let's throw that out there right now because why dance around the issue? Hey. Uh, superheroes have a lot of homoeroticism musicals have a lot of homoeroticism um a lot of, like, human bodies in motion in a way that, like, uh, American uh, heteronormative society is generally uncomfortable contemplating the male form, right? Like, do you think that a superhero musical is, o- is, is overdue because it's about time that we see, like, the chiseled abs of a Broadway dancer like, saving uh, Gotham from the Penguin, well, you know, rather it's than, a, it's than a,
0: like, Yeah, it's interesting. We talked about uh, professional wrestling a little bit, right? And yeah. That, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. I was thinking of, like, bodybuilding, maybe, or something, you know, where mm where american oh. culture gets back to that that kind of greek contemplation of the the sort of perfected male form in all yeah. its dynamic uh, beauty right and yeah. and uh, wrestling i think fighting is the uh, Is the closest thing I can come at the moment because the you know bodybuilding doesn't seem to be in the mainstream the way it was when say Arnold Schwarzenegger was a bodybuilder though I mean I Matt
1: can you say the last part we just I said uh,
0: bodybuilding doesn't seem to be in the mainstream uh, in quite the same way as it was when Arnold Schwarzenegger was a bodybuilder though whether it was actually in the mainstream at that point or not or or whether we just sort of retcon that in uh, because he became a a movie star Um, uh, who knows but uh, right and and he was European. Which is the thing? He, he's this sort of exotic guy from a, a culture of exotic guys who you know work out a lot and get oiled up and and um, things you know things like this. Name a name a famous American bodybuilder who's a mainstream star.
2: Lou Ferrigno. Well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but he's but he's the Hulk. He's actually like not a human being in the popular conception. <laughs> like I think it still plays because I think Lou Ferrigno was also presented at a time when I guess being Italian was a little bit more exotic, but also as sort of like a, a, not really of the same he he is the other as well. Like Lou Ferrigno is as much the other to uh, mainstream considerations of male gender as I think Schwarzenegger is, but for different reasons, right? Like he's sort of the like the idea of Rocky as the sort of Italian stallion, right? Um, like that's a very similar like um, animalization that ha- takes place. I mean I don't think that's a real word but um, – you know what I mean? Like I do, I do think that what you're saying holds that in order to feel comfortable at the time when pumping iron was big and bodybuilding was really big with that – and bodybuilding is still really big. I mean I think it's important to say bodybuilding is probably more – popular, like, has a a much bigger following, dedicated following now than it did when Pumping Iron was really popular. It just doesn't move the needle on the popular culture as much. Like, there's lots of bodybuilding magazines and bodybuilding websites, and people are really into it, um, but it's kind of, like, in the age of the blogosphere, has like foundish niche and is more comfortable in its niche and doesn't really need to cross over as much um, to in order to sustain itself. Right? It's not like oh, this like small time thing is suddenly going to become big time. It's more like this medium time thing is going to continue to be medium time. Um, but yeah, no, I think I know what you mean. I think and when we're talking about that sort of expression, um, I mean, I think is America's oldest, longest running, and most successful form of theater. Right. Like, more people see professional wrestling matches than Broadway musicals, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, oh, um, by, by far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, oh, we think of Broadway as the fulfillment of the American theatrical dream. Uh, I mean, I think that the, the, you know, uh, the Royal Rumble uh, could, could stand against Man of La Mancha as, as, as a realization of Americans' uh, fascination with song and dance uh, and seltzer down the pants, as it were. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that that is definitely something that people are looking for. I mean, we have that... Um, uh we have, we have that part of our culture that comes from the Greeks and this sort of um – I, what was the way that you put it? because I love the way that you put it about like the the perfection the perfectibility of the male body in motion or whatever it is that you want that, how exactly you said it. you said it better than I could um, that from a from a sort of sexually normative standpoint we're uncomfortable with it but it's such a hugely important part of our culture that we have this sort of willful ignorance of um, and it's you know it 's all over the place it's superheroes and and the musicals I mean the musicals are kind of like funny because that's the only time where we acknowledge that like we're kind of sexually uncomfortable with it it's S- like the side super-
1: note of uh, of our obsession with the, with the male figure shake weight commercial anyone
2: <laughs> well the shake weight commercial with the women in it was the much more popular one
1: was it right? i don't know i saw that one i saw the one with the dude as well and uh i'll tell you what um just uh oh, that's it <laughs> oh. which i say Ah, that is it, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> All
2: right, continue. I, I, I think the male shake weight commercial is, like, much more self-aware than
1: the female shake I don't weight commercial. Know. I don't know. about that. I really don't know.
2: And then, I mean, also, it's funny, because what are, if we want to take this ridiculous workout apparatus, what do we do? We show women in a state of, like, subservient sexual gratification, and we show men in, like, a sort of overblown, perfected state of homoerotic enjoyment, right? It's, like, it's interesting, like, how these genders, like, find their realization through the shake weight. And we see this sort of power dynamic at work like nobody thinks that the men in the Shakeweight commercial are degrading themselves really i mean i, I mean because it's it's like well they're already pretty degraded but i mean it's like i don't really feel like it's it's the same sort of thing you know what i mean um <laughs> nobody's like yeah you use that shake weight Ugh. it's more like okay that guy's pretty gay uh you know it's like if it, they don't think they don't think of it as a subserv as a subserviation even, it isn't a word either i'm going to go for the trifecta and make up a third word by the time this podcast is over so keep your ears open <laughs> um <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean it is funny and i mean i i try to when the female character flowchart uh post came out which of course i think is awesome um I tried – and this is a post I want to write someday. I tried to write a post about the sexual politics of Dragon Ball Z, which is so complicated. And it's, and it's so rooted in this um, – and I think that, that when we're talking – if people haven't quite caught up with what Matt and I are talking about and what Mark is also uh, contributing to as well with this like perfectibility of, of the male body and this sort of Greek tradition. Like look at Myron's the discus thrower, right? Like look at the famous Greek statues of dudes. Yeah. Um, And and like, really consider what those statues are trying to accomplish. And and those statues, the ones that are praised the most, are the ones that are able to use the static uh, um, medium of the marble statue to communicate the motion of a body. Uh, And so it's not like the most like beautiful person. Uh, gets gets the biggest props, which is different than say Renaissance art. Say like the statue of David, for example, is like not a statue of a body in motion, really. I mean, there is a there is a dynamism to the way that it's posed and all the stuff, but like the Renaissance ideal of uh, of the male no, form the, yeah, is that's very, a it, that's yeah.
0: a that's a male form in repose, sort of. Yeah, know? exactly, the exactly. That, uh, you know, the fact that the kind of the body is going one way and the head's going the other way, and you know, yeah, this yeah. Is yeah. Person, this is a person intended for contemplation and not necessarily for admiration. In in the same way, or it's it's a person um, uh, for admir- for aesthetic admiration rather than for oh god how shall I say uh, for dynamic admiration right
2: right 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 and if you want to I mean so make the through line right so the, the big for me the big jump is direct it's from the discus thrower to like Jack Kirby's giant swinging fist. Right, like like, look at a picture of The Thing in like a panel from a Jack Kirby um, uh, Fantastic Four comic book Right, where The Thing is like oh it's clobbering time and he like swings his fist around and there's like a giant motion line arc where, where he like moves his hand around to try to punch something now The Thing is of course a tricky example because well he doesn't have a six pack of abs really because he's made of rocks but I think it's, he's still communicating this like burly male figure and the movement of the figure is, is, is part of the reason why it is important, right? Like, part of what makes the male body important as an aesthetic object, because of our idea of what men are and in and, and the world, is its ability to move and its strength and its power to do things, right? Like, a male body just sitting there isn't really very interesting, um, because it's like men are interesting when they do stuff, when they fight, you know, when they, when they are powerful. Um, and again, this is very tied up, and I'm not saying that I'm endorsing this particular worldview, but it's, like, very much there in the art. And, the, and in the Greek art, it's, like, very, very much there. Like, you could see a, a perfectly idealized statue— and if it's not doing anything, and if it doesn't communicate motion, it's not going to be as held in, in, in as high esteem by enthusiasts for Greek art or the ones of the day as well. Like, the things that are prized are, is, is motion. And so I think that that's where you see you see that in the superheroes. You definitely see that in the pro wrestlers, right? Like, like as the WWE has consolidated the, uh, pro wrestling, and it's sort of developed the form um, to the point where it's kind of baroque right now, right? Professional wrestling is, like, very baroque compared to how it was um, back and when it was, like, sort of southern touring circuits and before the WWE WWE consolidated it there's so much more acrobatics i mean they take a lot of it uh they look at the luchadores and what they do professional wrestling and what it does but like there's so many set pieces where the the big wrestler gets up on the top turnbuckle and leaps Right. And there's and there's so many suplexes and there's there's so many like, you know, the rock bottom is a great example of a tremendously dynamic wrestling move. I mean, if you could make a marble statue of the rock in mid rock bottom, like I feel like that would be really, really impressive because like the motion inherent in that action where he's like parallel to the ground, right? Facing the ground, holding his arm up in an L shape, right? Which means that he's sort of like in action with it. But you have to communicate that it's still in motion and forcing down the other person onto their back. I mean, I think that that's a really clear actualization of the same aesthetic priority that you see in the ancient Greek sculptures, and that you see European and American society kind of uncomfortable with over the years as we try to get away from this idea, this Greek idea of the male, as people see it as insufficiently restrained, insufficiently aesthetic, a s -S A-S-C-E-T-I-C, I I didn't make that one up. Aesthetic meaning, like, the opposite of pleasure, right? Like, we have to restrain ourselves because we're Christian, and we have to be, like, prudent and temperate. We have to have these virtues, uh, and we're not allowed to just be, like, fighters we're not allowed to be like this is sparta we have to be like this is england uh you know like like it's very different um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah so it's like so we there's like definitely like uh, uh i think there's an arc you can trace from this sort of pri- primary uh, this initial exaltation ex- of the male body in motion through like various kinds of devices of repression that try to get to a place of comfort i mean john wayne's another example very like big dude but like always very much in repose like we don't really see john wayne do too much that's too much in motion because it would be kind of gay if we did and we uh, but we still have a homoeroticism in cowboys like it's it's still there and we don't need Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger to show it to us. I mean, it's in the the, right. the stuff.
0: Well, here is the. Um, I mean, well, it's it's funny. I mean, you you talked a lot about kind of making explicit in movies, and Brokeback did sort of make explicit, though though not really explicit. You know what I mean? Not, no, not no. not pornographically explicit, but uh, yeah. it it sort of what uh, it it sort of brought to the, it foregrounded what was latent in the in the genre already. I want to add another thing to to what you are saying. It's not just about. Um, it's not just about the uh, the kind of the admiration of the human – of the male form. Um, it's more about uh, – uh, it's also about, I should say, a, a kind of an all-male environment, whether that's uh, – Yeah. Whether that's – I mean, and you, you see it a lot in sort of prison movies and representations of the penitentiary, uh, right? This sort of all-male environment. Um, in army movies, uh, like the, there's sort of homosociality all over – Full Metal Jacket, for example, the first more more the first half when it's when it's this all male environment. The the, you know the drill sergeant says you know you're you're the kind of guy who would uh, who would f another guy in the ass and not even give him a reach around um yeah you know that's a you know it's like it's it's bad to be gay right because we're you know i don't know red-blooded americans or something like that and we we're homophobic and we look down on those people but you know uh here in this all-male environment if you are gonna f another guy in the ass then then you know at least give him a reach around right like that there's there's this um there's this sense and then kind of wrestling and sort of superhero collectives and things like this are another example of this aren't they where it's uh Uh, a a lot of them are all male and the, um, the, uh, the sense of sort of men together. I was thinking about the expendables actually, uh, in this, um, uh, in this, uh, connection, because a lot of those guys are, um, uh, former bodybuilders, you know, or former Mm -hmm. sort of wrestlers or ultimate fighters or, you know, whatever. Um, uh, who who have been kind of invested in this have have uh, you know have participated mm-hmm. in the he, the slightly gay economy of uh, you know the the the, uh, the presentation of the male body in ideal state for admiration right
2: yeah I mean I, I would also say that I think one one important point to make is that um this that this isn't really tied into the sort of the social construction of binary like sexual identity right. Like, like and that's kind of like the, the big elephant in the room right is that like oh like is a person gay or is a person not gay
0: no right, right? and, and, that, and, I, and, that, and yeah. all the political implications of that like it's bad to you know it's bad to discriminate against people because of their sexual orientation uh which, yeah yeah you yeah know, whether it's one of these two options because of course there are only two options for some reason. yeah exactly but um you know uh, it, it's bad to commit hate crimes you know it's bad to uh to discriminate in in a lot of ways against against people so that's we're we're not talking about that
2: Well, I mean, I think I, I will for a second, and, I, and I'll say that that this isn't it, right? And that, like, that, like that it's, I think that one of the ways that people view this sort of uh, this sort of um, well, I mean, I use the word discourse so much, but like this sort of uh, these expressions, these symbols, these kinds of characters is a sort of is like a, a sort of latent, unacknowledged binary gender or orient- uh, sexual orientation. Or, or sexual preference. It's like, oh, the, the boys who like these comic book characters must be gay or part gay in order to like them, right? And then that's, that's why it's like threatening for people to talk about it in this way. Um, and then, of course, that gets used politically as kind of a vindication and being like, well, if you like this person, then you were gay all along. And it gets caught up in the jockeying back and forth in the political struggles for acceptance and versus like, domination and all, and all these different things that are happening. And I think that it's important as you look over the sort of arc of where these things come from is that like this through line is, is very widespread. And like it is much more widespread than the prevalence of like uh, either self-selected or like biologically selected homosexual uh, behavior as we understand it over that sort of line like if you're looking at a kinsey scale of some sort like there are a lot more guys who are into superheroes or bodybuilders or musicals or like any, or like this sort of expression of the male form than like are predominantly homosexual in their behaviors right uh, which, I, which I think that that's sort of one of the difficult things to talk about. And I, I think that, that the the important reason to say it is not as an apology or as like a, a justification for these people like, oh, don't worry, you're not gay because that's not the point. What are
0: you calling me gay? You calling yeah, me
2: exactly, gay? exactly. Exactly, exactly. It's like the, the point of it is that there's something else that's going on here that is sort of uh, about the consideration of themsel- of of the self and the other and the body. Right. That that is like independent of uh, and if not ind- no independent is the wrong word, but that it is like not entirely encompassed by uh kind of like post pubescent sexual behavior. Right? Like that there's sort of there's sort of like other reasons that are in work that are that sort of interface with sexual behavior as well, both heterosexual and homosexual, as to like why we would consider why what men look like and act like when they're in each other's company, uh in this sort of like heightened state where like, you know, like uh, you know, this is something that heterosexual people are going to be as interested in as homosexual people, and women are going to be as interested in as men in a lot of ways, right? This whole idea of like slash fiction as the as the forbidden uh, way that women are expressing this part of their identities—that you know—and and these these ideas, these communities in different places, and experimenting with gender identity—it's not just about sex. And that, that's, that's sort of like the big sense I'm going to come out and say. Like gender identity and like, like hyper and, and you know, anatomization, which is my third one. Anatomization is my third word that I made up uh, of the form. Uh, and these exaggerated things are not just about having sex. They're about considering ourselves and the meanings of our bodies as they interact with each other. Uh, and I think that that's what brings us back to Spider-Man the Musical. Because it's like as an art form, right? It's like, okay, we're taking song and dance – Right, which is one way in which we found a comfortable sphere to talk about dudes doing their thing with other dudes, uh, and we're taking that, and then we're taking superheroes, which is another way in which dudes can be with dudes, and we kind of experiment, and we see how far they can take it, and, and what does that mean about people being dudes, and what does that mean about people being causal agents in the world, and like, what does that mean about the role that we think women should have, and what does that mean about all these things, and yes, what does that mean about what we want to do after dark, after we finish the pizza, and like, we turn oh, off the dark,
0: lower. yeah. I, after we turn
2: off the dark, after you turn off the dark, is the Spider Man turn message of that sort of like how The Wizard of Oz is really about populism? Uh, is like Spider Man turn off the dark really about the importance of keeping the lights on while you're doing it? because uh, I feel like that's like a political point that I've not seen anyone make, <laughs> uh, and not something that I would necessarily think needs to be hey, made.
1: You entered here but. first, and so overthinking it. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, but does, does that make sense? I mean, I, I feel like it's a difficult point to make because people are so personally and politically bound up in these struggles, which are very real. Like there are people who out there, for whatever reason, have this personal bone to pick with dudes who like to have sex with other dudes and women who like to have sex with other women. And they're like, I hate this. And it's like, OK, all right. So the reason that you're doing that, we could go into it, but. Whatever, for whatever reason that you're doing it, it doesn't. It's it's sort of a, an independent complex that that has like a whole bunch of stuff that's going on with it that doesn't really have much to do with whether people choose to do this or that. Which is people who are against homosexual self-identification and homosexual behavior or queer behavior, I should say, because I hear that that word is not acceptable anymore. I'm not on the cutting edge. I try to be. Um, so people who think so that there isn't a good. Um, Consonants. There isn't an actual parallel between the acceptance and rejection of queer behavior and the like practice and non practice of queer behavior, right? Like, very famously, there's a lot of people who are very anti queer behavior who do a lot of queer behavior, right? Which shows us that there's two different mechanisms at work. There's like this political mechanism, which is a real thing and not something that we should just throw away because it affects a lot of people's lives. So we should consider it, we should try to understand it and. Hopefully we should find a way that we can exact justice within this framework and make sure that people's rights are respected and make sure that people are treated as human beings. If Depending on what other ethical system you feel, either you know, increasing the aggregate happiness or you know, not treating them merely as a means or like, seeking out a virtuous temperament, like any ethical system I can think of wants to resolve this problem. Um, but at the same time, there's also like, what are people actually doing, right? Like, what are they doing when they when they're having their bottle of wine and uh, things are getting a little bit nice? And then there's the question of what are we doing when we're talking about bodies and anatomies and 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 organs and and things well, even before um, we're
0: talking about them. When we, I mean, when we're looking at them, you know what I mean? When, when we're admi-
2: looking at them. That's what admiring,
0: I mean. Yeah, yeah. When we're admiring, uh, you know, I don't know the the, the Olympian, you know, or when we're admiring, yeah. Uh, uh, i don't know the bodybuilder or guy, the, guy know, the, yeah. yeah, the guy in the shakeway commercial yeah the guy the guy in the shakeway commercial or the guy, I would say the guy I mean, or the guy at the gym or the guy at the gym who just you know who who has that who just has that uh, killer set of abs on him or something i don't know yeah
2: You could almost make a cubist presentation of, like, the guy in the Shakeway commercial. I mean, this is a good example of, like, why cubism might be a relevant way of looking at something. Cubism being that we want to show a particular image from a bunch of different perspectives at the same time and show that, like, a representation is not just a representation, but things are considered artistically from a variety of angles. Think about the guy in the Shakeway commercial from a sort of, like, gay, straight political continuum, Right. Think about where he falls along that. Who would want him to be able to vote? <laughs> you know, who would want him to get driven out of their town? Like who would want him to like have special protections against being beaten up? Like what do people – if that guy gets beaten up, like what do different pe- how do people, different people react to that? Like that's that, one uh, way.
0: If that guy yep. gets beaten up, I, I don't think I'm going to buy a shake weight.
2: <laughs> fair enough but then it's like okay well then who does that guy hang out with in his spare time like what does that guy do what's his behavior like how does he live like how does he you know how does he work his relationships like that's another whole thing right and then there's the whole like what if he put on a dance belt and went into ballet like you know and like the actual shaking of the waist that takes place in the commercial right like like that's a, i i'm trying to say that like that, and wrestling and comic books, is like a, a different but related and integrated, like there's integrations and points of integration in the Venn diagram across these different, these different spectra. Um, and so we want to see when things intersect, it's interesting. We see interesting reflections. I mean, as a fellow new critic, I know we bring this up a lot, or a person influenced by new criticism, these you know, quote-unquote ambiguities, pun intended, um, create aesthetic points of value. Right. Like it's like, okay, Spider-Man as a man in tights who is dancing versus Spider-Man as like a man in tights who is fighting crime is like a point of literary ambiguity. And there's like a metatextual point being made by putting the crime fighter in the musical.
0: Right. And uh, I just oh. want to point out that when when Pete said uh, "different but related" uh, in in that sentence, <laughs> <laughs> "but" is spelled with a single <laughs> word and is a conjunction <laughs> and not uh, not a noun. Um, so, if you have any uh, any answers to this question, I would actually. I mean, this this podcast obviously is a uh, homosocial social social circle jerk sausage. Party, um, <laughs> much like the Expendables. So I, I would be interested in, in hearing some uh, some perspectives from across the uh, gender spectrum about this this show and about the things that we have brought up um, unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, in order to do that, what you have to do is you have to call or text two zero three two eight five six four zero one two zero three two eight five six four zero one. You can email podcast at overthinkingit.com dot com or you can. In- Uh, join the always lively uh, conversation on the show notes in the comments on the show notes on the site. What site you ask, why it's the site you should visit every day. It's www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve
1: deserve. (laughs) Ah, that's it. there's anything wrong with that. Not at all.